0: I'm
1: participation song
2: so I need everybody that is able to to stand up please not that kind of participation this is a repeat after me song anybody no so we're gonna sing a line actually Marla is gonna sing a line and then I'm gonna help you with the repeat on the chorus you're on your own to repeat so we'll see how that works
1: <laughs> no pressure. You just
2: sing the same thing that we just sang and the words are up there
1: A second, but it's going to honor God, okay? We're going to pray together to open our service. I've asked Aaron to pray for those in just a moment who are listed on the um, Bless Every Home list, which is the, those here in the neighborhood that we're praying for. Something's playing in the background. Right, cool. <laughs> Got to get a little dance and jig going. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, this is your day. Yes. Let your re- people rejoice and be glad in it. I am reminded, Lord, that we often get wrapped up in our circumstances. We get uh, upset about our pain. We get upset about our discomfort. Uh, We get upset about things that are going on in our relationships and the way things are going on in our job and the way things are going on in the world. And there's a, a pandemic and there's a governmental struggle. And there's a political struggle. Uh, and there's still men who are risking their lives to protect our freedoms here in the United States of America from the army and all the military to police officers on the streets. Lord, there's, there is much that somebody could be up in arms about, discontented about, not satisfied with the way things are going. And then we are reminded that we are given this day as a gift from You to make a difference to do something, to be someone in the kingdom of God. And we ask that this worship composed of this people and others who would join us online or listen in and maybe sing along with the podcast or whatever, Lord, that we would honor you. Let us take the focus off of all the other things that we'd be so concerned about. Praise you for the amazing things that you've done. Recognize that you are doing amazing things today. I know you have amazing plans for us for tomorrow. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. And to Aaron.
0: Lord, I pray for your homes, that neighborhood that uh, we're praying for. Thanks for this program that uh, provides those things to us. And I just pray that you bless each and every home in our neighborhood. um, Help these people suffering and uh, care for their needs. Them the people around them uh,
2: yeah. It's his day! Let's go.
1: been at work, what we've seen, what we've read, what we've heard, it usually takes a few minutes. It's usually a huge blessing to realize that God is at work in other people's lives in a similar way, maybe to is in yours, or some question that you had is answered by somebody across the room, that kind of thing. And so we come to that moment again. I hope you've been reading your Bibles. I hope you've been looking for God to be moving, to be hearing something you might have said. I know it's a busy week. The temperature's been better, there's been lots of things that need to be done, that kind of thing. And so, uh, I hope you've had the opportunity to hear from the Lord this week. And then maybe you'd share it with us now. Alright? What do we got? Brother Ron?
3: So, on the way here, I was listening to uh, one of the church uh, services that are on WSB. And uh, I believe it's from the Lutheran Church. And uh, it's talking about um, the early days, Adam and Eve, and she just gave birth to Cain, and then Abel. Yeah. And then um, fast forwards a bit, and Cain and Abel are there, uh, you know, tending their own lands. And you know, Cain brings his offering to God, and Abel brings his offering to God, and God shines upon, or smiles upon Abel's offering, and Cain gets angry, and then Cain, you know, ends up killing his brother. Uh, and God is questioning Cain, knowing full well what he did. Um, but he asks him anyways to get his response. And, you know, he says, you know, I'm not a keeper, blah, blah, blah. I'm paraphrasing. But uh, he, uh, God, instead of destroying him, like he had every right to at that point, he, uh, you know, he cast him out. And away from the land and Cain was distraught and said, Lord, what am I gonna do? I can't live like this, people will see me and and kill me. And God said, No, that won't happen. I will put a mark upon you so that no everybody will know not to touch you. And it's just it's very moving to know that God is that forgiving. Because uh, I look around this world, and I'm not saying people don't deserve justice when it's due, but it's just, there's no forgiveness beyond that justice. And uh, it breaks my heart, because I know I'm the same way. I I try to, you know, I tell people I forgive them and stuff, but I still have that, that in the back of my mind, like, well, no, remember they did this. You know, don't do that. They did this. And uh, I just think it's something that everybody could use a little more of as forgiveness for others. You know, it's a good word. And you can hear God's heart in that. Okay, who else? Jason? My a song.
1: Oh, okay. You got that ready back there? You think?
0: Lovely. You, uh, you don't want to go for a ride, do you? We could get out of the palace, see the world. Is it safe? Sure, do you trust me? What?
2: Do you trust me? Yes. <laughs>
1: It wasn't just because they were on a magic carpet ride seeing the sky, but it was because your eyes are open. You know, when you're following the Lord, sometimes your eyes are open to see things in a new way, and everything seems new. That is a great song, isn't it? Obviously, it's a romantic song in the movie, but our
0: relationship with God is romantic as well. That's pretty cool. Good stuff. Anybody else? Ardith? Um, Something that like really, I guess, gets under my skin is. Always hearing people complain that they want this, they want that they want it, they want to see this happen, but do nothing about it. Um, so when I see someone that's saying, oh well, I want, I want to get a better job and I want more money and then they don't do anything about it. They don't try to go out there and find jobs. they don't try to apply for anywhere or they're at a job. they just don't try to do the job better and then they complain about it and it just really it irritates me to my core because I'm the complete opposite. If I want something really bad, I'm gonna go get it. And it's the same with my job. If I want to make more money at my job, i work harder. I do the stuff that I have to do to make that happen. And lately I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of people complaining that things ain't going right. and. They won't, they don't, they don't agree with a lot of stuff. And it's like, well, if you want to do something, you go out there and you do it. But at the same time, it's everybody's like, oh, well, I can't do it because of COVID. It's like, you can do it and still be safe. But it just, it really irritates me. And I've gotten to this book quite a bit and I'm trying to stay away from it now because it just, it makes me so mad to see you got so many people out there complaining and it's like there's jobs out here there's there's things that you can do and it's the same with like even people that are walking with Christ it's like if you want your relationship with Christ to get better then you have to put the work in you can't sit there and just complain about it and expect things to change because nothing is going to change if you're not willing to do the work I mean, James says it, faith without work is dead. You have to be willing to put the work in, but it goes so much farther than just your walk with Christ. It's everything you do every day. If you want to get better, if you want to achieve, obviously God is ultimately in control of that, but you have to be willing to put the work in. You can't be the ones to just sit there and expect things to be handed to you. Because something I've been trying to teach these guys is, It's a very hard lesson to teach, but it's, to me, it's one of the realest lessons. Life doesn't give you handouts. So you have to be willing to work. And I'm trying to instill that in my kids, and at the same time, I'm still trying to remember where I'm supposed to be in my walk with Christ, too. It's like, you know, you can't expect the handouts. You have to be willing to put the work in. And that's, like I said, one of the things I've been really struggling with with my kids and i've been trying to teach them that so i guess in a way it's a two-part thing i need prayer for that because i'm trying to teach them how to grow up and how to be men instead of kids because eventually that they're going to get to that point in life and i don't want it to be as late in life as when i did or i guess as early when i did like i had to grow up really early because of Things that happened in my ha- past, I had to—I had to become an adult really early in my life, and I don't want that on them. But I want them to be prepared in case something like that does happen.
1: Good word. Good word. I think all, probably all the fathers in the room can relate to that—that that desire to see the young, know, the boys in your household grow up and be men. Um, and of course, Scripture says, "Act like men." You know, it's that's, that's a command, and so we are—we are supposed to do that. Um, what's funny about it is like when you get upset because people are not doing what they should they're saying what they want but they're not doing what they should do to get it then they're complaining about not getting what they want but we're kind of complaining we don't want to get into complaining about them complaining because just kind of spins out of control but then I heard you say you know if we're following Christ and we love God and to see our relationship grow be willing to put the work in and and the word says be be diligent right To to be a worker um uh, approved, who need not be ashamed, right? reviving in the Scripture. So we are supposed to work at it. There is a job that needs to be done here. Um, and Jesus said, "He who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God." There is a work that is involved with being a follower of Jesus, and that's a good word. Um, and so, un- amazingly enough, in the kingdom of God, there is no unemployment. Zero. If you're in, you're employed. If you're not employed, you're in the kingdom of God, and you're not employed then you're not actually in the kingdom of God. You're just in somebody's idea of what the kingdom of God is. Because there's 100% employment in the kingdom of God. Everybody that's living for Jesus is also doing some work that they were created to. And then you talk about working, putting in the effort. Adam and Eve were created to work. That's what they were created Humans are made to work. If you don't work, both in the physical realm and the spiritual realm, you're not going to be healthy. You cannot be healthy not working. I'm saying you don't have to make money. If you don't have to make money, if you don't need money to survive, then you don't have to work to make money. Right? There are people who work, I know people who do not have a job because they have a supposed disability or whatever who work more than people who have a job. <laughs> you know, but they work, they're okay because they're financially okay because of uh, whatever resources are coming in, but then they work harder than a lot of people who have a job. We were created to work. And so if we don't do that, we won't be healthy. I'm with you, 100%. That's the same thing spiritually. You, you, you will wax uh, for a short time, get excited about being a follower of Jesus, and then if you're not willing to work, you wane and shrink away, and not have any strength in Christ. A very good word. Okay. Anybody else? Twenty. I don't
4: know what Jason and RJ were saying. <clears throat> Found this on Facebook. Finally had to send a like. That was awesome. Um, I don't agree to the whole quote, but we can break it down. It's really good. It says sermons on following your heart and letting God fulfill your dreams and achieving your purpose are man-centered self-help. Don't join a church that preaches the ungodly catechism, therapeutic, positive thinking for the expressive self. Join a church that exposes the scriptures and exposits. And so, don't totally agree with that, but the idea is that we're taught in this culture to find in ourselves. and It's our flesh. And so, if we're in ourselves, now, there's a self-motivation that all churches can have in Christ is that in himself, in Him, we can do what He says we're supposed yes. to do. That's not selfish. Selfish is, you know, this is what I say I'm going to do. This is my flesh, I'm going to go do that. But if God's saying, this is what you're going to do. This is who you're called to be. This is your commanding to be. Go do that. That's not selfish. That's why right. I break that down. Then, there's an amazing word, which I read it before, but um, I've also given out a challenge. I also want to get to the sisters, too. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, Luke chapter 6. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Luke chapter 6 is like the Sermon on the Mount in just one chapter, which you know that. It's pretty sweet. And the Amplified Classic. I mean, there's a lot of conversions, but the Amplified Classic really gives you the Greek and you can have really good um, understanding what was said. So I just encourage you all this week and next week to try it out. I just got so encouraged by it. But um, here's what this says in Luke 11, 5, I was reading this. I'll be real quick of just one word that I got of all of this. But, um, Jesus was sharing the, the Lord's prayer. We know it's not the Lord's prayer, but the idea of what that prayer consists of. And then he said to them, to the disciples, Which of you has sent a friend will go to him at midnight and will say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine who's on a journey has just come, and I have nothing to put before you. And he from within, who means the person at the door, at the house, will answer, Do not disturb me, my door is now closed and my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and supply you with anything. I tell you, although he will not get up and supply him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his shameless persistence and insistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now we know today's culture, if you did that, you're probably going to get a talk in our meetings. The idea is that um, this was a culture that they were friends, they cared about each other as a community. But the idea was that he kept on knocking and knocking. He was going to quit knocking until he got exactly what he was doing, what he wanted. But I think the word that I got out of this whole thing was, it was awareness. He was letting his friend know that I need this bread. I have a friend in the journey that needs this bread. I need it now. And it's like he was bringing awareness. He wasn't going to quit. He wasn't going to stop, you know. And so I encourage all of us to to bring awareness. You know, to, to share the gospel, to share the hope. You know, they're going to they're gonna say, I got kids. I ain't got time for this. I got this going on. But if you don't keep knocking, they're not going to know they really need to do it. If we're just going to sit back and say nothing, then the world's going to say, we're good with nothing. And so we need to bring awareness. And it's even to us in the church to to, to, to encourage each other, to reach out. And it's hard. I'm sure this guy that came at midnight got a knock on this door, was not like, oh yeah, he's gonna be okay with this. He did something because he knew if I keep doing this, he's my friend, sooner or later he's gonna reach out and he's gonna give me exactly what I need. And so, as a church, we gotta reach out to each other because if we don't reach out to other, we will not get exactly what we need. We're gonna continually wonder, you know, well I can't just get some bread. So, and this isn't just this church, but all churches, uh, the one self-motivation today is that, that we can live for Lord, but do it our way, when really it's always been His way, now live for Lord His way. There's no other way. So this is just bringing awareness and encouragement to do the things um, that would, I would say, impossible. 'Cause to do something you can do is possible. To do something you can't do is impossible. Only God can help you do that. That's the things that we should be reaching for. Things that you cannot do. Things that, that God can do in us to do those things. Yeah. What's interesting about that story too, we mustn't forget that first
1: line where he says he came looking for bread for the one who came to him. So if he was pounding on that guy's door at midnight looking for bread for himself, that'd be a completely different story. But he was pounding that door at midnight, looking for bread for so the person who came to him hungry, and so he was. That person was on, on both sides of that door. They were supposed to be working together to make sure that guy got to eat, and it was the guy at the door pounding that was saying, "Hey, you know, this guy needs to eat. We need to do this. Completely selfish. So like bringing it. Yeah, completely unselfish. We're bringing ourselves together, coming along together, lifting each other up." To do what's right. To get done what God said we're supposed to do. Great passage of scripture. Alright, anybody else? We're going to pray, and then uh, we'll jump back into worship. Uh, I've been very, I just want to say I've been very blessed by those of you who are coming prepared to share something on Sundays, and it speaks to my heart, and also often provides confirmation for the sermon that we're about to uh, partake of, so that's kind of cool, so i ask uh, Brother Tony Brister, our deacon, if you would kindly pray, and uh, we're going to go to tithes and offerings, finish up and go to the Word.
3: Dear Father, Lord, thank you for uh, another day to give us, thank you for bringing us here today together, thank you for what you prepared for us already in advance, what we're going to hear, what we're going to experience, and ask you, Lord, that uh, we be focused on you, uh, that uh, uh, all the distractions will be... Uh, you'll take care of those and help us, Lord, to see and hear what you want us to see and hear. Ask the Lord to bless this time, bless this offering as we uh, as we give. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we can give. And, and those that cannot, Lord, uh, help the Lord know that they can give whatever, whatever it is, and you'll bless that too. So thank you for the experience. Thank you for your time. Thank you for this time. In so, Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
1: A little bit of quick commercial for you in case you didn't notice. If you look, uh, if you have a bulletin and you look in the middle of the bulletin, you will see that we have a new creative, it's been here for a couple weeks actually, creative sermon notes page. And so uh, I don't know what goes on the speaker line, I guess technically my name, but uh, I really hope it's God. Uh, And so listen to what the Lord would have to say, but um, that's probably supposed to be me. And then there's some sermon notes, main message, the Bible passage that was used. Something that you want to remember. Some important words. What did this tell me about God? Questions I have. Things to pray about. And so I would encourage you, if you don't want to write in I recommend you write in it. This is by no means a holy thing. Like you, I write in my Bible. You can write in your Bible. You can write anywhere. Uh, although I don't recommend the side of trains or buildings because technically that's illegal. Um, but people do it anyway. Oh, so that being said, the sermon notes page is in there. And you can take some notes. And if you start collecting those, you probably have a pretty cool little... Uh, what you call it, like a helpful tool, I guess you'd say, for future reference. Okay, all right, so we're going to look at an interesting text today, and as we look at that text, we're going to look deeply between the lines at what's actually going on. I'll give you a little bit of the background, but the language is not tough, but you have to actually kind of digest and understand what's actually going on there and how it's got to work in it to really... Uh, get out of it what I think the Lord is trying to show us today, okay? So when we go to the text, which we'll do in just a moment, I'll ask you to have your thinking caps on and go with me, and we're going to try to digest the text. So here's what happened. Some, uh, well, quite a long time ago now, almost two decades ago, the Lord called uh, me and my family to participate in planting a young, really, Bible study is what it was, uh, out at uh, Perrysburg Heights Community Center. And that's how it all kind of got started. Um, by no means that I plan on being the pastor of a church if it did get started, uh, but rather the church planter. And then after the church was persecuted out of that location into my home, uh, it wasn't long and even though we sat in my house the teenagers up the stairs and we didn't have AC and the, we met in there one Sunday. It was 95 degrees outside and it was very, very warm inside. And uh, nobody fell asleep, I might add, during the preaching of the word, which is an amazing feat. Um, and uh, we sang, and we, bl- we could have broke the windows with the singing, because we were jammed in such a small space. Um, and the church, uh, the young mission church at that time, asked me to be pastor. And I immediately said, no, I don't think that's what God wants me to do. And then Joe Spiker was there, to said, will you pray about it? Take a couple weeks, and then come back to us in a couple weeks with an answer, and I had learned my lesson when Tim Hutchinson had first asked me to preach years before, and I had said, no, I wouldn't pray about it. I got sick for 48 hours and it was horrible, and I couldn't, uh, couldn't function, couldn't do anything, and so I said, well, of course, I'll pray about it, and so I began, I prayed about it. Two weeks later, I agreed, and then we went forward from there. As I became the, mission ch- the pastor of that mission church, I realized that I was in trouble. Because a couple of things. Number one, that meant I was going to be preaching every single Sunday. That's a a lot. If you've never done it, it's a lot. Um, Just ask RJ. If he gets a week's notice, he's like, okay, got to get a sermon done, right? And then now you're under the gun. And so when you only get, when you have to finish, unless you're doing a sermon series or you're preaching through a book or something like that, every sermon starts with where do we go in the Bible? Okay, and if you've ever sat down to read your Bible and go, okay, where am I going to read today? And you don't have a specific place you're going to read before you start. You know what that's like, except that might take me 10 hours or 12 hours. Hopefully it doesn't. Usually it doesn't. But back then, it would take me anywhere from 15 to 20 hours to figure out where we were going to go in the Bible for a 45-minute sermon on Sunday. And so I knew I was in trouble. And um, at that time, Brother Tony uh, Brister had agreed to be a part of that, had come on as the deacon, and that was a huge encouragement to me. And so I felt like I was in trouble, but at least I wasn't in trouble alone. Does that make sense? And, and, and there were other people in the church who were already stepping up to work, and my family was pretty excited. My boys were young still, um, but Alicia and Amalia were pretty excited, and Sherry was on board with me. And so I felt like we were all in a little bit of trouble, but at least I wasn't in trouble alone. I want you to bear that thought in mind then, as we look at the scripture today, that sometimes you might be going to what looks like to be a really hard place, but at least you're not going alone, okay? Now grab your Bibles if you would and uh, maybe give me a who holler amen something as we go to Philemon. Hey, yeah, Come on now, let's do it again. We're going to Philemon. Amen. Thank you, thank you for those who are participating. I'm going somewhere tough, but at least I'm not going alone, all right? So, does, without, if you haven't flipped there already, do you know why I did not say what chapter? Because there's only one. Because there's only one, right? There is, you don't have to do chapter one of Philemon. It is the book of Philemon. There are no chapters, right? It's just the book of Philemon. It's not particularly long. In fact, it is the shortest book uh, of the New Testament or of the whole Bible. And um, it is 100% attested. There are not theologians anywhere that disagree that Paul wrote this book. Uh, as a letter to Philemon. That's how it got its name. And he wrote the book about a slave, a slave who had become a free man and who had become a Christian named Onesimus. And Onesimus, uh, having become free under, uh, he he basically ran away from home. That's how he first got free, but he didn't have any citizenship. He wasn't free. He wasn't actually a freed slave. Um, and then Paul uh, led him to Christ and he became a Christian. He began to serve in the church where Paul was And this letter is about Paul sending Onesimus back to Philemon, who essentially owned Onesimus previously, and he's he's asking him, and that's not what we're getting. I'm just giving you the background story at the moment. But he's asking him to forgive Onesimus and even to free him. And he's like, you know, he does he owns Onesimus, so he doesn't have any reason to free him, Uh, scripturally. uh, And I know this. We Southern Baptists get a, a a whole bunch of heat because they they oftentimes came down on the wrong side of slavery in the Civil War. Um, However, biblically, if you've read your Bible, you will realize that the right kind of slavery, not that kind of slavery, not the Civil War slavery, but the right kind of slavery is not technically illegal, is not technically against God's word, it was common for soldiers to fight soldiers and for the soldiers who lost the fight to become the slaves of the other side, right? to be taken into slavery, which was considered grace and mercy because they could have killed them. They had every right to just go down and chop all their heads off. And instead, they took them into their homes and made them their slaves and fed them and cared for them and so on. And so it's making somebody a slave in that context was not wrong, uh, Biblically speaking, if you were a slave and became a follower of Christ, you are not necessarily supposed to seek to no longer be a slave. And so people made some mistakes in thinking of the kind of slavery that was present in the Civil War as the kind of slavery that was in the Bible. That was a mistake okay because the kind of slavery that was present in the Civil War was not the kind of slavery that was present in the Bible. The kind of slavery that was present in the Civil War was you go into somebody's country and you like take the whole country captive by force. There was no war, there was no fighting. You just go in there and take a whole village and go and sell them to somebody. That's thievery at best. And so it was wrong, but there were mistakes made and the bottom line is so we get a bad thing about that. But Paul was not if if Philemon decides not to free Onesimus, that's not a sin. You understand? Because Onesimus was a slave and he became a Christian, and he should not have run away. And he didn't run away while he was a Christian. He ran away before he became a Christian. So now he's going, he's, Paul is sending him back to Philemon and he's asking him in this letter, he's asking him to treat him as a brother rather than as a slave, okay? That's the story in the background. Now that's not the lesson for today, okay? So we're gonna look at verses four through 10 and drill down kind of hard, On those four, on those uh, seven verses, so that we'll get the message that's therein contained. All right, so here we go. So it's Philemon, beginning in verse four. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. So this is Paul saying that he praises God or he thanks God for Philemon, and and I'm going to tell you kind of this. Spoil what's coming a little bit, but it's Philemon and the church that Philemon is a part of, right? It's the people there, not just Philemon himself. But he says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. So that's a pretty good place to be. In fact, if there was a brother that you knew was a Christian, you knew that they're a follower of the Lord, you kind of want to be in the place where they are talking to God about you all the time thanking God for you all the time because of something, right? And this is what he says. Because, so he's going to tell us why now. He says, I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. A couple of interesting things here. First of all, there are two qualifiers, if you will, and then they're broken down into two things, right? So first of all, there is the love, okay? And just very simply put, if you can't love, you don't know God. That's very simply put. Anybody who cannot love, you can't bring yourself to love, and it would include people that you shouldn't have to love, you shouldn't be required to love, you shouldn't uh, be required to be loving toward them in any way because of who they are. If you cannot love them, you have a problem between you and God. Your heart has a problem because the Bible says God is love, and whoever can't love his brother whom he has seen cannot love the Lord whom he has not. That's what the Bible says. Bottom line is... Paul was thanking God for them all the time, number one, because of their love. And it says, and number two, in this translation, it says, and of the faith which you have toward the Lord. Now, I submit to you that this faith that he's talking about is actually faithfulness, okay? The reason I say that is because if I looked at Alicia, and I say, Alicia, I'm pretty amazed by the things that you're doing. You're serving the Lord and like that. I think your faith is awesome, okay? Am I seeing her faith? Now, you can't see faith. There's nothing to see. Faith is a non substantive thing. Light doesn't bound off of it. So you can't see it with your eyes. What I'm actually seeing is her faithfulness. Right? So what Paul is seeing is that Philemon and the church that Philemon was in were, was loving and faithful. And faithful means when you live out your faith. You take the steps and the actions. You know what to do. God wants me to do this. Now I'm going to do it. Right? It's very simple. You follow the commands of the Lord to the best of your ability. Yes, you'll drop the ball. You didn't know you weren't supposed to do that. You'll fall into ignorance. Someone will trick you. You'll be tempted and fall to temptation because you didn't take the way out, etc., etc. But the bottom line is if you believe and act out your beliefs, then your faith is not dead and then you're found faithful. So they had two traits that led Paul to pray for them all the time. Number one was love, and number two was faithfulness. But notice that those two traits then have two kind of subcategories, or they're separated down, because he says, beginning back to the beginning of the verse, because I hear of your love, number one, and because I hear of your faith, let's just say faithfulness, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. So now we have love and faithfulness, first toward Jesus. Listen to me, if you do not have love and faithfulness toward Jesus, you are not Saved. You are not a follower of the Lord. You are not a Christian. And you should stop calling yourself one because you're a liar if you do not love Jesus and are not found faithful toward Him. That is the bottom line. He died for you. And if a man died for you, you would owe him a life debt to say the least. But He was not a man. He was the God of heaven. And when He died for you, He took all sin of all mankind for all time on Him on the cross. And therefore, you owe Him a debt of faithfulness. And love. And if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, which means He tells you what to do, then you have no hope for eternity. It's love and faithfulness toward Jesus. And if you have it and it is seen, then it is something to be grateful for.
3: That's right.
1: But also, He says that He is grateful to God and praises God for their love and their faithfulness toward God's people. Here we go. Have you ever heard this statement, Ephesians 4, that the The church is the body of Christ if you do not love the local church if you do not love your church the church that God has you in doesn't matter whether you wanted to be there doesn't matter whether you're elected or paid to be there but if it's where God has put you and you're in your church and you do not love and are not faithful toward their church your church then you have a problem people will say this people people love to say this in fact if, a, if somebody came over to my house and they were disrespectful to my wife because the church is the bride of Christ right so' said sort of disrespect to my wife I would ask them to leave so if you're going to be disrespectful to to our church, if you're not going to love our church, if you're not going to be faithful to our church, then you probably aren't treating Jesus, because that's His bride, with the proper respect. And He's going to say, you're not really in. But it's worse than that, because the church is the body of Christ. And so you're literally not faithful and loving toward God if you're not faithful and loving toward the body of Christ. It's as if I say, you know, I like you, I I like being around you, but I can't stand to look at you make any sense. I like you. We have a lot of fun together and whatever. But man, I just got to say I hate you. Brother Tony and I, uh, fairly early on when we were on Main Street, there was a brother who came there and he was coming to church and he was struggling. He had a a very colored past, very checkered past. And he'd been through a lot, but he had given his life to the Lord. And he had made a courageous decision to follow God. And he was loving and faithful toward the Lord as far as we could tell. But he was struggling with an addiction. And one faded night, just before midnight, Brother Tony and I found ourselves in his house because he had called me multiple, multiple times saying that he had seen evil spirits and demons in his house. And a f- bottle of vodka there sitting on the table. He's been drinking. He's taking his medications and whatever. And we're trying to talk him down, trying to calm him down, trying to rebuke evil spirits. And I was trying to get the house under control, get him under control, get him to see if he needs help and that kind of thing. And Brother Tony standing to my left, about four feet over here, and he's sitting there, and he has his ugly stick next to him. You know what an ugly stick is? Ugly stick is what you make people ugly with. It's kind of ugly looking, but that ain't why it's an ugly stick. It's what you make people ugly with, right? You live on the east side. A lot of people know what an ugly stick is. It's not as prevalent these days because an ugly stick doesn't necessarily help you, but it was still a thing. So he had, he had his ugly stick there, and I'm talking to him, and I'm about five feet away, and I took a little step forward. And when I took a little step forward, man, your brother Tony's right next to him. He's like about a foot and a half away on his right side. He picked up the ugly stick to hit me. So I'm talking to him about God and about, you know, repenting and turning to the Lord and putting this stuff aside. And Brother Tony liked to interpose himself to stop him from hitting me with the ugly stick. I was in a very tough place. I was in a very dangerous place. Man, was I grateful that Brother Tony was there. And so he picked up the ugly stick and I backed up a half a step and he put it down. We're talking some more. and When I'm stepping forward, I'm like still five feet away. Right? I'm just crossing into social distancing. This is way before that, but I'm just, like just inside there. Right? And he picked it up again. And Brother Tony realized what was going on. And the next time he put it down, Brother Tony took it and moved it away. <laughs> and then we kept talking. Right? What I'm saying to you is he was angry at me. He wanted to hurt me. Now, how many times had that man told me that he loved me? How many times had that man shown his faithfulness and his love toward the Lord? But in the midst of his walking away from the Lord, now later that evening, about 2 o'clock in the morning, he went to the emergency room, and he was diagnosed with a 4%, not 0.04%, but 4% blood alcohol level. He was not in control of himself. And listen to me. When you are not in control of yourself... What's that?
0: surprised he was still alive. That's
1: what they said. They said, you shouldn't be alive. But he survived it. But the point is, he, when he lost control of himself in the Lord, his flesh came out. And his flesh hated the church. It hated God. It was angry with God. And part of that, we're going to see why before we're done. If that's where you are, You need to repent and turn away from that and turn instead unto God. And hear me, if you love God, God loves His church. Listen, I know there are churches out there that claim to be churches that may not even be churches. Not your business. There are churches out there that claim to be churches they are preaching a word that's completely dysfunctional, is not biblical at all, and you should have nothing to do with it. Also, not your business. I know there are people who are putting YouTube videos out there or are saying that well our church won't use this kind of music anymore and they're getting a million likes on, on, on YouTube and everything else. Also, not your business. right? If that's God's church, it doesn't matter how screwed up they are, you have to favor them. You have to love them. You might have to love them at a distance, but you have to love them. You cannot talk bad about God's church. God will defend His church, has always defended His church, has destroyed every nation that has ever risen up against his people. Now, eventually, God will take his church out and then let the wrath fall, but we're not there yet. Bottom line is, they had love and faithfulness, and Paul was thanking God for that, and they had love and faithfulness not only toward God, but also toward all the saints. He says, and I pray, and I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective, this is, this is tough, Dial in, come on. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. So that that one sentence there, which is true, normal Paul, right? Strung out and it's got a ton of stuff packed into it, right? right? That sentence right there would be enough to convince me he wrote this book. Bottom line, he says, I pray that it'll be effective. So notice they are loving and faithful toward God and toward God's people, and yet Paul is praying that it would that their fellowship of their faith might become effective. It would do more. It would go further. It says, through the knowledge of every good thing. So they are to seek good things, to know good things, to live good things, even to be good things. Right? There is more to be done, he says, even though he thanks God every day for loving, for them loving and being faithful toward God, and for them loving and being faithful toward the saints. And then he says, I hope, I'm praying to God That the fellowship of your faith may become effective. In other words, that their church would truly become effective, growing, reaching new heights in Jesus, you could say, through the knowledge of every good thing. That they would learn, have it in their head, and more so live it out. He says, which is in you for Christ's sake. And those two words right there are huge, huge in this book. It's for Christ's sake. Understand. It is for Christ's sake that you got out of bed this morning. It is for Christ's sake that you ate or did not eat breakfast. It is for Christ's sake that you have lived, that you have managed your health the way that you have, that you have managed your relationships the way that you have, that you manage your job the way you have, or you work your job or quit your job or get another job. All of that is for Christ's sake. And if it's not for Christ's sake, then we're back to point A. You're probably not saved. This is Jesus. He is the Master of the universe. He literally was present at creation. Nothing was made except that was made through Him. And if you're not doing it for Christ's sake, then you're not doing it in Christ. What He paid, that alone ought to be an indicator. Everything for Christ's sake. And He says all of the good things that He was talking about that He was hoping would come to fruition in them, He says, were in them, and they were in them for Christ's sake. Hear me, simply put, if you have become a follower of Jesus Christ and you are saved, that was done, not for you. I like to say, there's only one human being on the earth. Jesus would have died to make sure that they were saved, right? Which is true. Jesus endured the cross. Why? We saved to save us, right? It says, for the joy that was set before him. That's what scripture says. Not for you, not for me. Jesus did not endure the cross for each one of us individually, but for the joy that was set before him. That you might then live for his sake. That he might be multiplied and the kingdom of God might grow and that men would be wrenched free from the grip of evil into light. That an eternal kingdom would be established and then be eternal. It's the only way. It was the only way. If Jesus died on the cross for somebody, He died for Moses or for David, who was a man after God's own heart. He didn't die for me because I was a dirtbag. And some days still I am a dirtbag when I'm not walking with the Lord. Thankfully they become fewer and fewer, but they still happen. And we live now for Christ's sake. And we grow into completeness for Christ's sake. 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 There we go. And everything is instilled in us for Christ's sake. Not for your sake. For his sake. That's powerful and important for where he's going. He says this. He says, For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. In other words, I'm doing pretty good. People say, how are you doing? I say, I'm blessed. Paul's saying, I am blessed. I have joy and comfort. Where's our joy and comfort come from? No, well, you think Jesus, right? He says, I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. In other words, because you have taken care of believers, and I think Paul could probably say, and you have taken care of me, but because you have taken care of believers, I have come to have much joy and comfort. In you. There are people in our church that work. In fact, I'm looking around this room and almost everybody in this room, and I'm not judging anybody because some people I may not know or whatever, that work hard. Somebody vacuum the chair that you're sitting on. Every week. (laughs) You know? Somebody clean the hallway. Somebody Stocked the pantry. Somebody taught the kids on Tuesday. Somebody swept the multi-purpose room. Somebody fixed the plumbing. Somebody mowed the yard. Somebody put the gospel out of hope. Somebody put tithes and offerings in the offering plate. And it just goes on. Our church is active and alive. And all that's supposed to be for Christ's sake. And when I see those things for me, when I see those things, they bring me joy and comfort. Because I go back to that first day in which I said, are you crazy? This is crazy. So I'm going to... You mean I'm going to preach. And then, like, if somebody dies, God forbid, I'm going to, I'm going to do their funeral. And if somebody gets married, you know, I'm going to do. I'm going to have to, and this was back then. I'm like, I have to figure out what marriage counseling looks like. And I thought, I'll never be a counselor. And I was right. <laughs> because I got counseling training and Bible study. And the number one thing that, in uh, Bible school and college, and the first thing they told me was if you're not counselor certified, you're not a counselor, you're a pastor. So I do pastoral Bible study, people are gonna get married, but I don't do counseling. You don't get counseling from me. I may give you counsel, as in we'll talk about what the scripture says, but I was looking forward at that, I'm going, that's crazy. But now I'm surrounded with a church that works, a church that loves, a church that's faithful. And yes, we have weaknesses. And yes, we fail to love and fail to be faithful at times. But the bottom line is our church is alive. When I see our church alive, uh, I look at that and I go, God is so good. Not Tim is so good. Josh is so good. Because I know it's God in us. If you think it's you doing something for God, you're probably not saved. Because Jesus died on the cross for you. He owns you. You now live for the one who died for you. That's what scripture says. And when you live for him, it's for his sake. For him means for his sake. And when you see others living for his sake, that should bring you much joy and comfort. In some ways, you have to trust. You have to trust that others are living for His sake, even though you may not see the fruit of their labors. People are working behind the scenes. We continually forget what people are doing for God. Some people are getting up at 5, 6 in the morning and praying. Some people are sleeping until noon. Is one better than the other? If it's both for God, it's for His sake. He says, for I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. We're almost done with the text. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Eight. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do that which is proper. In other words, he says, I could insist. I could tell you what you have to do here. I I believe that I see God's working in you. God's working in me. I, I prophesy and amazing things have happened. I preach the word. and People get saved. I, people have, I, healed. I brought back the life the kid that fell out of the window. There's been amazing things that happen. So I know God's working me. I know God's working me. I should be able to just tell you, brother, do this. Brother, do this. And that should be it. He says, but, even though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you Since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's go back for a second, break it down for a minute. He says, I could order you, but for love's sake, because I love you, so love can grow in you, because this is what love would have us to do. For love's sake, I rather appeal to you. That means I ask you. The word there literally means I ask you. I'm just asking you. I could tell you what to do, but I'm just asking you since I am such a person as Paul, the agent, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And this letter was written from when he was in prison. Debated whether he was in prison of Rome or Ephesus when he wrote the letter, but the bottom line, he was in prison. So he's talking about, he's now everybody knows that he's a sufferer for Jesus. And I can tell you what to do, but rather, because I'm, I'm right about this, because I know this is the right thing to do, because I've got to give God his place, because I've got to let this unfold the way it's supposed to, I'm going to ask you, and in 10 he says, I appeal to you, my child, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, Onesimus. I appeal to you for my child, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, imprisonment, Onesimus, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. So he begins his actual appeal. And that's where we stop reading for the day. So there's a few things I want you to see in here that the Lord really laid heavily on my heart. Bless you. Bless, you. Bless you. The first one is, be grateful for crying out loud. Be grateful and express gratitude to God. Give credit to God for faith and faithfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, and it's, I'll start in 16. It says... Rejoice always. And yes, that means even when things are really tough, even in the worst of times, things aren't going the way you want, when somebody's not doing what you want, it says rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. You should always be talking to God. You can do it. Your brain puts out about 150 self-thoughts a, a minute. And all you have to do is turn 10% of those to talking to God, and you'll literally be talking to God every moment that you're awake. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That you pray all the time that you are awake, thanking Him for all the things that you have to thank Him for. You say, "Oh, I don't know. What do I have to be grateful to God for?" Well, you're sitting here. You're breathing. You're. You got a nice chair. You got a building. You got a life. You got another day. You got food available to you. Uh, enough income to survive you got a church that will take care of you. you got a pastor preaching to you the word. You have the word. The list just goes on and on and on. God has given you so many things. In this, If you just took this one moment what you have, just take what's in your pocket. Such a percentage of the world that doesn't even have what's in your pocket. You're like, well, all that's in my pocket is lint. Guess what? In certain parts of the world, pocket lint is not a thing because you know where pocket lint comes from? comes from washing your clothes. And in a lot of places in the world, they can't wash their clothes. We have so much to be thankful for. If you think you don't have much to be thankful for, you have arrogantly judged your life in contrast to what God says. You have so much to be thankful for. Thank God. Be grateful. Express attitude to God. Give credit to God for faith and faithfulness. Love God the way He loves you. Love Him because He first loves you. But notice, there is another mention in this verse, in Philemon, where it talks about being grateful to God. Because he's not just being grateful to God, he is talking to Philemon. He's telling Philemon about how blessed he is, how grateful to God he is for Philemon as part of his discussion, but he's talking to Philemon about how grateful he is. I am grateful for you. I am grateful when you step up, when you do what God wants you to do, for the team leaders to have found their calling. I am grateful for the team leaders who found their calling, wrote their strategy, and then didn't do anything about it because they found their calling and wrote their strategy. They know what God wants them to do. That's a huge step because most people don't even have that. We have a church full of people that can regularly, realistically, search out what God wants them to do and then do it. And some people do it, they work 40 hours a week and then spend another 20 hours a week serving God. In contrast to churches that have 150 people sitting in them on Sunday and not 10% of them spend one hour a week serving God. And I am very encouraged by that in our church. I am grateful. And I thank God all the time for our church. And yes, I pray for our church to grow in numbers and in maturity. Just like Paul prayed for that church. Okay, so you say, I'm grateful. Now I'm grateful. Now what are you going to do about it? There are actions, right? You just don't say thank you and then walk away and don't ever do anything about it. There are actions that logically follow being grateful, Gratitude is not only in words. Some people are not as good as expressing things in words as they are expressing them with actions. So act. Say, so, well, I am grateful. I just don't say it. Okay, if you don't say it with your mouth, you better say it with your words. And there are people doing that. Being found Faithful. Literally, being found faithful is the only standard that God will judge you by. Being found faithful. That is it. Doesn't matter what else you did. Doesn't even matter if you sin after becoming a Christian, whatever. But ultimately, if you've been found faithful, you will make it into the kingdom of God. In fact, you will see the kingdom of God here on earth. That's what scripture says. Just be found faithful. And for anybody who's decided I'm going to be found faithful and then set out to try to do so, you know how hard it is. It's actually really hard. The wisest, strongest men I have ever known who were serving God consistently fell away at some point in time, got tired, quit doing what they are supposed to be doing, allowed themselves to be distracted, whatever, and then had uh, later, and this I know they were some of the wisest, strongest men, came back to truly serve the Lord the way they were supposed to. David did it, and he was called a man after God's own heart. And he walked away from the Lord and arranged the murder of the woman that he wanted. Her husband. Arranged her husband's murder. All right, Be grateful. Express gratitude to God. Give credit to God for faithfulness. And don't forget to mention it to the people that you're grateful for. Secondly, there is... This is admirable. It's recognized and discussed. And notice, it's not recognized and discussed only in the church. It's recognized and discussed in the world. The people are looking at the church building, and they're looking at the church, and they're looking at what we're doing, and they're checking our Facebook page, and they're checking our website. I oh, we had a couple that come to New Heights for the first time. And I said, oh, it's so good to see you today. I said, how did you find out about us? And they said, well, actually, you were at such and such a place, and you invited us. And I went, oh, that's you. Okay, great. I'm glad you're here. And then they said, we've been stalking your website for seven months. They were watching us. People are watching us. Our website gets hundreds of hits every day. Hundreds every day. Probably half of which are robots, which still leaves 200 every day. We have 1,200 people that have registered on our websites on the contact us or whatever, of which about over, the, over the eight years that's been going on, about 75% of them are robots. But some of them are not. 320 people following our Facebook page. 500 people following the Life Station Facebook page. People are listening to our encouragement calls. We have people listening to our podcast all the time. People are looking. They want to know. Do you love God? Are you faithful? This is admirable. He said people don't even know God. I get that. So they want to know. Do you love and are you faithful toward other people? I was watching a a spy show that I like called Covert Affairs. and I'm almost done with the body of the sermon. And on there, one of the big themes was how the CIA, where they all worked, was only one way. Meaning, they worked for the CIA, they worked their butts off and tried to be patriotic and tried to be honest and tried to be hard workers and always show up and always come in at the weirdest hours and everything like that. But the CIA doesn't take care of them. The church cannot be like that. We have to take care of one another. The world is watching. And the church is watching. Love and faith but also gratitude toward God. When someone exhibits love and faith toward Jesus and other Christians, the world sees that. In fact, what Paul says, where he says, I have comfort there, and he talks about his heart, that word there is not heart. It's not the cardia, which is the heart that where we get our word cardiac arrest. It's not talking about your physical heart. It's talking about the heart in the sea of the emotions, and actually the word there is splogna, which I love because it sounds like baloney. Splogna. Right? And it's talking about your guts. And they believed your guts was where you get your power from. It's where you get your em- seat of your emotions, your strength to do what you choose to do. Right? Your guts, which is true, by the way. If you've got a weak core, weak, your whole body is weak. Right? But they said the, he said, I have comfort in there. I am strong in there. And this is why, because I have come to see the church of Philemon encouraging saints. So we can make each other strong. Our guts can be strong to do what it is that we are told to do. In fact, this method works very, very well. It works so well uh, that you can do it without Jesus. People literally do it without Jesus. Look at one of the most classic stories in Scripture, the Tower of Babel. They all got together to build a tower up to the heavens. It would be like God. And they all encouraged one another to build a tower up to heaven. And God said that in their unity, they can do anything. Nothing will be too great for them. Because they were encouraging one another to build a tower up to the heavens, which was the wrong thing to do. They were collecting together in one place, which was the wrong thing to do. But they were encouraging one another to do the wrong thing. And that's what we're doing in the world today. There are people out there gathering. We've got 50 roughly people involved with our church in some way, something like that. There are people out there with groups of 1,000 people. And their whole purpose is to hate this or hate that or resist that. There are Facebook groups with a hundred thousand or a million people in them that are hate this certain person or stand up against this certain injustice. Right, rallying around just one point and they're encouraging each other to rally around just this one point point. they get on there and talk all kinds of nasty crap about that one thing and they will do it and they're encouraging one another and they feel strong because we're resisting something or because we're fighting for something we believe in. The church can do it. This works so well that you don't even have to be Christians to do it. So then, why aren't we doing it the way we're supposed to be doing it? Why aren't we lifting each other up and making each other's guts strong to do the things that God is calling us, calling us to do? Because it's a spiral up. It's not going to work like this. If I just go to Josh one day and I say something positive, and that's as far as it ever goes, Josh is not going to do better for the rest of his life because I said one positive thing. He might do better for a few minutes, or he might do better for a little while, and occasionally he might think back about it or whatever, but he's, he's not going to do better for the rest of his life because I said one positive thing. We should always be saying positive things to one another. I say something positive to him one day and then another few days later and a month later and a six months later and a year later and now he's got a trend. He realizes I respect him and I am encouraged by him and I, and I like him as a believer. Meanwhile, he's saying positive things to other people and other people are saying positive things to him and the church spirals up and it becomes out of control and pretty soon we are better and better able to be better. Our better makes others better and they can make us better. And it all starts to rise. And that's what Paul said. I hope that it will be effective in you. I pray to God asking you that all the good things that are in you could be coming to fruition as the church. This principle is so true that it can actually work outside Christ and become worshiping creation rather than the creator. That's not what we want to do. I don't live for you. If at some point in time the church required me to if you required me to live for you, I would leave. And go elsewhere and live for Jesus. And you do the same thing. You are not required to live for the church, you are required to live for Jesus. To be the church. And then you will grow. And you will help others grow. We will all work together to grow. We will be reaching new heights in Jesus, which is the theme of our church, but we will reaching, be truly reaching the will of God, which is the theme of Ephesians 4. There were three points. Number one, be grateful and express gratitude toward God and give credit to God for faithfulness. Number two, this is admirable when we do this and lift each other up to the point that strong guts develop in people to do what they're supposed to do. And it spirals up out of control. And we can be better, able to be better, and our better will make others better. And then they can make us better. But the problem is we're so worried about it won't come out quite the way we want. If I if I go in there and I encourage a bunch of people and I do a bunch of things for a bunch of people and who's gonna do who's gonna take care of me? And is there gonna be enough? Is there gonna be enough for everybody to go around if we start all kind of committing and giving and serving and throw more money in the pot and do things like is there gonna be enough so everybody's taken care of? And that brings us to our conclusion. And it is this final point that I think this text tells us very well. There is a confidence to be found in Christ. You've got to be okay. There is a confidence to be found in Christ. You've got to trust Him. There is a confidence to be found in Christ. He is the greatest leader there ever could be. There is a confidence to be found in Christ. He has a plan for you. It's more complex than you can know. There is a confidence to be found in Christ. The same thing that qualifies you constrains you. Are you saved? Have you given your life over into the hands of Jesus? If that is so, then you can no more take it back into your own hands, trying to twist it into what you want it to be. Then you can know his plans for you. Know the future. The same thing that qualifies you constrains you. Do you love Jesus? Then you cannot attack his church. Do you love Jesus? Then you cannot talk bad about Him in certain circles and fine about Him in other circles. Do you love Jesus? You can't get out of bed today and go, well, I'm just going to live this day for myself and blow off everything I know to be true. The same thing that qualifies you constrains you. That which says you're free actually gives you direction. Jesus said, come follow me and then you will know the truth. The truth sets you free. But He also said, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. The same thing that makes you a follower of Jesus will make you continue following Jesus. It will bring you to a better understanding of what he expects of you and that which gives you and sets you free actually provides direction to you. But notice here that it is better, Paul says, to ask than to insist. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues them, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Are you saved? then you have the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. You should be confident. Reaching new heights in Jesus for Philemon was responding to Paul's request, wait for it, however God would want Philemon to respond. Not how Paul wants Philemon to respond. Not how Onesimus wants Philemon to respond. Not how the church wants Philemon to respond. Not how society would want him to respond because they would have told him, don't you set that slave free. You're setting a terrible standard. Next thing you know, all Christians are going to have to set their slaves free. Right? Responding, reaching new heights in Jesus for Philemon was responding to Paul's request, however God wanted him to. Reaching new heights in Jesus for Paul was asking, not insisting, but asking and then trusting the outcome to God. Reaching new heights in Jesus for Onesimus was being willing to face justice and returning to a great church, possibly as a slave, that that Paul could trust. He was going to go back there and if Philemon did not set him free, he was going to be a slave of Philemon in a great church under God. He had to trust that Philemon was going to do what Philemon was supposed to do as far as God was concerned. We must get good at encouraging others to do what's right while not insisting our own views are the definition of what's right. Even your best understanding of Scripture cannot be imposed on someone else's life. If they choose to sin against Scripture, God will punish them. God will bring wrath. God will send them wherever they are destined to go. You come and ask them, This is the problem. We think evangelism is insisting that the other person get saved. Like we're pushing our values on people who want nothing to do with it. No, you have to ask them to be saved. We also think evangelism is telling them the good news without asking them anything. No, that's nothing. You're a TV commercial. Everybody ignores that, or at least in some percentage. We must get good at encouraging others to do what's right while not insisting our own views are the definition of what's right. While there is a time to insist on things, a dad should insist that his children behave, should insist that his children grow up, should insist that his household is run in a godly way. Right? While there is a time to insist on things, a pastor should insist that the lesson comes out of the word, that it is what the word says, not what he says. It's not about the political agenda of the world or what others think or what somebody passed him off on a piece of paper. There is a time to insist on things, but when entreating someone else to do what God would want them to do, that is not the time to insist. I told my boys as they were growing up, and I still tell them to this day, and I haven't, I've gone there with Ariana, but she doesn't fully understand what the implications might be. I tell them, look, if God wants you to do something that's contrary to what I told you to do, you do what God told you to do. Disobey me. Who's going to tell their children to disobey them? But if God wants them to do something and I want them to do something contrary to what God wants them to do, they need to do what God wants them to do. And if they don't, they won't be the only ones culpable. I'll also be culpable. I can be punished if they, are required, if they do what I tell them to do and it's disobedience to God. Rather, can't you be confident in Christ? Can't you trust the Lord Because he is going to do what he wants to do, rather than what you want to do. Our confidence in Christ is greater when we surrender control of the outcome over to God than when we exercise our own authority. Now you have a lot of authority. You have a lot of reason to be confident in Christ. And you can make a lot of decisions that, that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. You can change everything around you. You may not be able to make it into what you think you want it to be, but you can change everything around you just by following God, just by following Jesus, just by unleashing Him in your life. But that authority was not given you to force others to do what you want them to do. God can do that. Right? God can do that. He kept Pharaoh from having sex with Sarah, or Abraham's wife, whether she was Sarai or Sarah at that time, I don't recall. And then, But he closed the wombs of all the rest of the harems. They couldn't have any babies. They found out that that was actually Abraham's wife. And he said, what the heck? What did you let me take your wife for? And then he, Pharaoh also cried out to God and said, but how, how could you allow this? Why would you punish me? I'm not the one who lied. And God said, yeah, I understand. That's why I also did not allow you to take her and further sin against me and against him. God can keep people from sinning. God can make, could make people understand that he's... And ultimately will, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, make people understand that he is real. Make people understand that he deserves their loyalty. He can do that and chooses not to. Wouldn't you then want to follow his example? Love and faithfulness. And when you think you know what's right for somebody else, appeal to them. Ask them. Because we know the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Not we force men, not we push them, not we cajole them, but we persuade them. We show them the options. We entreat them to accept the good one. So somebody's in your life that's doing something that you don't like. And you're mad about it. You complain about it. You might say something harsh to them. Or you just have bad thoughts and you never voice them because you know that wouldn't be godly what you need to do is practice love and faithfulness. And everybody will see it, including that person. And then you will get an opportunity at some point, if they survive long enough and God allows it, to ask for what's right. And then ask. Paul said, I could tell you, I could insist. But for love's sake, I'm going to ask. Let us reach new heights in Jesus. Let us be found loving and faithful toward God and toward the church. And then let us ask. Let us ask for what's right. Let us ask for God's will. Let us ask an appeal that we live in a godly way and that it will spin up out of control and amazing things will happen as brothers and sisters encourage one another and the people that live around them. God help us because this is the picture of the church. And in so many places, it's not the church that we see. I'm going to pray for you at this point in time, and then we're going to have a song of invitation also, a closing hymn for our service, and we'll be through. I'm asking you, will you trust God? Go all in and show love and faithfulness. Put it all on the line. You Encourage others. Lift them up, strengthen their their guts. You strengthen your guts. And then let's be the church. And appeal to the world to come out of the darkness and into the light. Join us to serve our God. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you. There is so much faithfulness and strength in our church. There's so much work that's being done. I think there may even be folks who are saying, well, I don't need to because somebody else is or I, 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 I'm busy or I have excuses and why I can't do whatever and they don't want to think about the fact that people are putting in so much time and effort and they're not. This is not about guilt. It's just about doing what you'd have us to do. And I hear you appealing to each and every one of us to be actively serving at whatever level that we can, to be loving and faithful towards you and towards your church. I also hear you correcting us, Lord, that rather than insisting our will be done, we should be submitting your will be done. That means even when we screw up or when somebody else does what they want and says what's right, your will can still be done. We submit ourselves into your hands. For those who have set out to try to be faithful, try to love you back, to stay the course, we know how hard that can be. So many opportunities, so many distractions, so many temptations, so many weaknesses. Yet we reach new heights in Jesus as we pull, plow ourselves back in over and over again, trying to serve, trying to find how to serve, trying to find how to make a difference, trying to lead people to You, trying to be that example of light and love and hope. God help us for the one who's here today is questioning their salvation. Lord, you be so firm in their heart and just tell them you love them and you have spared them. You, you have a place for them in heaven and their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if that isn't so, Lord, then you also convict them and have them step out and say, I truly want to live for Jesus. I'm going to do what I said I would do. And turn their lives over in earnest. For the one who's here today who knows their followers Jesus and they know what they're supposed to do and they're struggling to do it, we ask for strength. Let them be encouraged as they see that other brothers and sisters are pushing past barriers, are overcoming, that they too can find where their special fit is. They too can find the gift that you have made them. Now, I don't mean the gift that they have. We can help with that, but I mean the gift that they have become. The gift that they are to the families of the church, to the people of the church, to the church, to you. And then as our gifts fire on all cylinders, as our gifts really get running as our gifts really become dedicated to our God. And our church grows up and becomes an even mightier force for you, for good in the community, in our households, and in the world. We know the stage is set. We know you are God. We're committing it into your hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll sing this song together. Uh, and how, how fitting it is. Realize that when you are singing I Surrender All, if you are, I hope you are, at least having those thoughts, that you are conveying even your ideas of what the correct outcome is. I Surrender All means I surrender my desires. I surrender my heart. I surrender my guts. I surrender my finances and my time and my talent and my love and my faithfulness. And I surrender all my blood. 好